Well, we are beginning the Advent uh, season today. Uh, That is four Sundays and Christmas Eve leading up to Christmas, which, by the way, for those of you who haven't looked ahead in the calendar yet, this year is glorious because Christmas Eve is on a Saturday, and so we get to spend Saturday night together, and then Sunday morning we come back and worship. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. What better way to celebrate Jesus' birthday than to worship? So as we begin our Advent series, we're going to be looking at who Jesus is in the book of Hebrews. And today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. You can find this on page 1001 in the Blue Pew Bibles and 1187 in the Red Pew Bibles. Uh, As you turn there, I want to remind you of a few things. Uh, For children ages 5 years old to 5th grade, we have what we call Caruso Kids Zone. This is an opportunity for our kids to go and learn about the uh, New City Catechism. This year is what they're going through as their material. So those questions and answers that we asked earlier is our confession of faith. They're going to talk more about that. Parents, I would encourage you to ask those kids about it, find out what they learned and what they talked about. Also want to encourage the ladies to sign up for our Christmas brunch. Uh, That is our women's Christmas brunch. That is next Saturday. Uh, You can see Katie Gibson for details. I would point her out, but she went out to teach Crusoe Kids Zone. So uh, make sure if you have any questions, you see Katie or find somebody and ask about our Women's Christmas Brunch, which is next Saturday. We're also starting today, which you may have seen in our emails, our end-of-year giving. Uh, Occasionally, churches at the end of the year during Advent will uh, take some time to have a dedicated campaign to work towards. This year, we're looking to uh, buy some new worship equipment. Uh, this This campaign will be going on from right now until the end of the year. You can give to it after that as well, but we'll be doing a dedicated time uh, for that during Advent. Uh, Part of the reason is that we uh, have some equipment. We've been a church now for over 10 years, and so our equipment is kind of some of it's coming into the end of its life cycle. You know, technology uh, has that... uh, what is it, built-in obsolescence, and you may have noticed some of our microphones or speakers, things like that. So we're just looking to make sure that uh, our worship equipment is up to par so that worship itself is not interrupted. If you'd like to give to our end-of-year campaign, just write end-of-year on your checks, or if you give online, you can find that under giving uh, our end-of-year campaign. And finally, we have a community group meeting after worship today, so if you don't have plans for lunch, we'd love to have you come to the Cadence Community Group. Um, Scott and Teresa are the ones who lit the candle, Uh, so if you have questions or need an address, please see them after church. We'd love to eat with you. Even if you didn't bring any food, that's fine. We just want to be with you, so uh, please join us after worship for that if you are available. All that being said, let's uh, look at Hebrews, and today we're going to look at Christ as prophet. What does it mean that Christ is our prophet when we say prophet, priest, and king? Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Father, we thank you for Jesus. As we look at Jesus in our Advent series, we pray that you would help us understand better who he is, help us to fall in love all the more with what he has done on our behalf, and help us to learn more about the ways that we can glorify you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent, as many of you know, is a season of expectation. It's looking forward not only to Christ's first coming, which we celebrate on Christmas Day, Christ's birth, coming into the world and all the things that Christ did while he was here, but it also is a day, a season of looking forward to Christ's second coming, when the promises that God has made to us will come to full fruition as we spend eternity with the Lord. Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, which means coming. And during the season of Advent, we focus on both remembering what Christ has done, who Christ was on the earth, who Christ is sitting at God's right hand, but also anticipating. We anticipate Christmas. Our children anticipate Christmas especially, but we anticipate Christmas for what it means that Jesus came into this world, and we anticipate his coming again. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the celebration of Advent is possible Only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. You may have been listening and been like, wait, what? That doesn't sound very fun. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in this quote, is reminding us that in Advent, we are reminded of our state without Jesus. In Romans 6, 23, we see the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We, by ourselves, in our own power, cannot make it to heaven. We can't make it to eternity. And that should bother us. Because we want to be able to do everything on our own. We want to be the ones who work hard enough and strive hard enough to be able to make it, whatever we're making it towards, whether it be work or a position or a skill. We want to be able to do it on our own. But the gospel tells us that in the most important thing, in the coming of eternity and where we will be, either with God or with God's judgment, we can't do The wages of all of our actions, what we earn in our own power, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as we look at Advent, we remember, as Bonhoeffer says, our wretched state, our need of Jesus, the fact that we can't do this on our own, and we celebrate And we anticipate the promises that Jesus has given us. Advent is a time to reflect deeply on the gospel. 
Advent is a time to celebrate what Jesus has done. Now, we know Christmas is about Jesus. It's in the name, Christmas. I don't know if you ever noticed that before. It's there. Christmas is about Jesus. But how often do we go through the season of Christmas and forget Jesus? Or maybe only think about Jesus on Sundays and then a little bit on Christmas morning, but that's it. Rico Tice, a pastor in England who is in charge of the program Christianity Explored, once gave this story. He was at a restaurant, and it was a nicer restaurant, and uh, he was waiting for a table. And while he was waiting, he was standing in a stairwell, kind of out of the way, and he noticed that there was somebody that looked vaguely familiar, um, but he couldn't place who it was. And this person had bodyguards, so obviously they were somebody important, and he didn't want to get a little you know, too close, so he just kind of waved, and that was it. Later on, he realized he was standing in the same stairwell as Prince Henry, or Harry, sorry. He was standing next to his prince, and he didn't recognize who he was. Sure, he, he kind of could tell, man, that's somebody I should know, and he could kind of tell that that was somebody important, but he didn't fully grasp who he was next to. He didn't take advantage of that opportunity to either say thank you or to talk to him or to shake his hand at all. And I appreciated Rico's story because I think we do the same thing with Jesus sometimes. Sure, we know he's the one who saves us. We know all about the cross because of all the artwork all around. And, and we know the Bible's about him, but we kind of don't meditate on the fullness of Jesus and what he did. We need to ask ourselves how well do I know Jesus? How well do I know not only the story of Jesus and what he did, because we're going through that in the book of Mark, which will continue after Advent ends. How well do I know the story of Jesus? But not only that, but how well do I know Jesus and appreciate all that Jesus did on my behalf? And so as we anticipate Christ's first coming and our celebration of that on Christmas Day, and as we look forward to Christ's second coming when he will bring us back into the presence of God. This Advent series, we're going to focus on who Christ is by looking at Jesus in the book of Hebrews. And so today we're going we're gonna to answer the question, why Hebrews? And then we're going to look at Jesus as prophet, because that's one of the roles that he played both on his life on earth and now that he is sitting at God's right hand. So let's start by looking at why would we use Hebrews as our study? Now, we usually begin every series with context is? That's right. We need to understand the context so that we can understand what's being said. Now, we haven't talked about Hebrews yet, so let's set some context. Hebrews is a letter, an epistle. You'll hear that often. An author writes a letter either to a church or to people. Many times those letters would be passed around from church to church in a region. The book of Hebrews is written by, I don't know, somebody. We, uh, for many years in our history, thought it was written by Paul because there's a lot of similar concepts, uh, but there are some things that make other commentators believe that it wasn't Paul, but it's not important. What is important is that Hebrews is such a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. And we can tell that the author of Hebrews, whoever he was, knew and loved his audience. 
Now, for those of you who are kind of like, wait, I've got to know who it is. Don't worry. It's okay. Sometimes we don't know these things. Just like when we studied Ecclesiastes, there's no listed author of Ecclesiastes, even though I think it's on uh, Solomon. That's my opinion. Uh, but the book of Hebrews was written to a people who were known and loved. And because of the amount of Jewish history that we see in the book of Hebrews, it's likely that the audience was a group of Jewish Christians, Jews who had grown up in the faith of uh, Israel, but who had come to faith in Jesus as the fulfillment of all that they had been taught. It was likely written before the year 70 A.D., Uh, If you like history, 70 A.D. is an important year because that's the destruction of the temple, of the Jerusalem temple. And so when we read scripture, we need to know whether the books are written before that or after that because of the implications of what it does for the Jewish faith. It was likely that this letter was written before that because we don't read anything about that destruction. And because this book flows so well together and goes from one thing to another, it's likely many commentators believe that this is one long sermon, one big long sermon. So read that sometime and say, thank you that James doesn't preach that long. So now we understand who it was written to. We understand kind of the the audience and the timing. Let's look at what it is about. What is it that the author is trying to convey to this audience that he loves so much? The theme of Hebrews is Jesus. It's beautiful the way the author walks through Hebrews and shows us the gloriousness of Jesus. He shows us that Jesus is better than angels, these these great beings that we know about from the history of the Old Testament. Not just angels, but Jesus is better than priests. Not just priests, but Jesus is better than any Old Testament institution that was set up for the Jews. Not just is he better than those things, but we hear about who he is. We read about his role as prophet, priest, and king. And we're going to talk about prophets today and why Jesus is a prophet and why that matters. The author of Hebrews reminds us that because Jesus is greater, we are called to hold to the faith. Because Christ is our hope, we are called to persevere and remain faithful to the Lord. And if we were to pick one central theme for the book of Hebrews, it would be that Jesus is better. Period. The word better, more, or greater occurs more than 25 times in describing who Jesus is. So the author of Hebrews wants us to hold fast to our confidence in Jesus. He wants us to recognize who Jesus is. And we can tell this because he begins the book not by greeting his audience, which many epistles do, but instead by immediately going to talking about Jesus. We already read that, verses 1, 2, and 3. Jesus is now the one who brings the truth to us. The author is dwelling first on Jesus and not on us. I think this is important for us to recognize. Christ is glorious. 
And so that's what the, the book of Hebrews is about. And we're going to try and cover all of it. Keep in mind, this is going to be an overview series. We're not going to hit every chapter, every verse. Uh, but what we're going to see is how glorious Christ is, how in Hebrews we see who he is. And as we look forward to celebrating his first coming and anticipating his second coming, we should love him all the more, hold fast to him all the more, trust in him all the more, and grow in our understanding of him all the more. Because the more we understand Jesus, the more we will understand God. The more we understand God, the more we understand the gospel. And the more we understand the gospel, the greater peace and hope we have to live in this world that is filled with sin. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, right after this big explanation of the heroes of the faith, we see this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are reminded of who Jesus is so that we can recognize our hope. So now that we've looked at why we're going to study the book of Hebrews in Advent, let's look at verses 1, 2, and 3 of this first chapter, and let's look at how Jesus is prophet. Now, I hope that uh, you understand the concept of overview because uh, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages written explaining how Jesus is prophet and things like that. And I'm going to try and cover in a very short period of time. So realize that as we cover this, we're not going to cover the full expanse of what Jesus as prophet means. But hopefully by the end of this, we'll have a better grasp on what it means that Jesus was the prophet, was the culmination of the prophets, and brings the message of the gospel. Let's start by looking at these first two verses. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to the fathers, to our fathers, by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So the author of Hebrews begins by telling us what used to happen and what has happened. Verse 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways. Verse 2, but in these last days, that phrase last days refers to the time that comes after Jesus. God spoke, verse 1. He has spoken, verse 2. To our fathers, verse 1. To us, verse 2. By the prophets, verse 1. By his son, verse 2. We see that this parallel structure is being used to draw our attention to the way God used to do things and the way God has done things. There's a couple of things to notice. Number one, in both the way that it used to be done and the way that it is done, it is God who spoke. It doesn't say long ago and at many times prophets spoke to help us understand God. No, it says God spoke. In these last days, he has spoken. God is the one who is filled with truth and has given us that truth. 
It's a really interesting statement because if we look at statistics, 70% of Americans don't believe there are any absolutes. So 70% of Americans believe that there's no absolute truth. And yet scripture tells us that God is the one who has spoken, who is speaking, and who will speak. God is truth. God is the source. And not only that, but what we see in this comparison of what used to be and what is, is that Christ is the definitive spokesman. While it used to be that the prophets would speak, now Christ is the one who speaks to us. In verses, the rest of verse 2 and in verse 3, we see seven ways that Jesus is described. Now, if you were with us for our overview series, you know that seven is one of those important numbers in Scripture. It's a number of completeness showing us what a complete thing is. And so Jesus is described with seven different descriptions showing us his completeness as the one who fulfills these things. Whom he appointed, the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprints of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty most high. Let's look at these one at a time. First, whom he appointed, the heir of all things. God has appointed Jesus, his son, as the one whom all creation belongs to. Fathers leave their inheritances to their sons, and here Jesus is the one who will receive all creation. This is why Jesus is the last and greatest prophet of all of Scripture, is because he perfectly reveals God because he is God's son. When we talk about a representative for a nation, we, we have somebody who, who, at their best, can only give you their understanding. But when we talk about a child, a son, they live with the Father. They know the Father. Jesus can tell us who God is because he knows God better than anyone else. He is God's heir. He is God's son. Not only that, but the, the second thing the offer tells us is through whom he also created the world. Christ is God. Christ was there at creation. We saw this in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. To use theological terms, Jesus is preexistent, Jesus is authoritative, Jesus is powerful, and Jesus is fully God. We need to understand this. He's not just a great prophet. He's not just a great man. He's not just a great teacher. He is God. He helped God. He was there with God. He created the world. I think we forget this because we try and turn Jesus into, you know, my buddy, my buddy Jesus. Jesus and I, we do things together. Instead of Jesus is God. Yes, Jesus has a relationship with us, but he is God. Now the author goes on in verse 3 to continue to expand on this. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He brings light and reveals God's full glory. The prophets in the Old Testament in, in those old days could only reveal about God what they knew and what God revealed to them. But because Jesus is God, he can reveal to us fully who God is is he is the radiance of the glory of god he shows us god's glory 
Not only that, but he is the exact imprint of God's nature. Christ is the perfect and last prophet because he is God. And when he brings the gospel, he doesn't bring a concept that was given to him by the Lord. He brings the truth that he himself is achieving on our behalf. The truth that we are sinners who cannot save ourselves, that he came and he lived the life we should have lived. He followed all the laws. He did everything perfectly. He never sinned. He died the death that we deserve because we are sinners, because we do break the law. He did that on our behalf. Many good people die, but only Jesus rose again, defeating death and guaranteeing the promises that God has given us through his entire word. Jesus is the perfect prophet because he is God. Not only is he the exact imprint of God's nature, but he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, he is God. He's not just a man who does great things or teaches great things. He is upholding the universe because he is God. Number six, he made purification for our sins. Not only does he show us who God is, but he's the only one who could actually bring the gospel to reality. He's the only one who could live that life. We can't live that life because we're descendants of Adam. We have sin within us, but he is the one who purified us for our sins. And finally, number seven, he is now sitting at God's right hand. Nobody else has that honor. Only Jesus. So in the second half of verse 2 and in verse 3, the author gives us seven reasons to see the beauty of who Jesus is and seven reasons that support the fact that he is the one who God speaks to us through. We saw in verse 1, God spoke through the prophets, and in verse 2, God has spoken now through Jesus. And then he's shown us who Jesus is through these seven things, that he's not just a man, but that he is the perfect prophet. And so because of who Christ is, because of these seven things that we see in verse 2b and 3, he is the ultimate prophet for us. He is the ultimate one to bring the truth of the word, not just because he knew what to say, but because he's the one who lived it out and brought it to us. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer number 24, expand on this. Remember, this was written in the 1600s, so it's a little bit of old English. How doth Christ execute the office of a prophet? Christ executeth the office of a prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. All of the Old Testament prophets pointed to there being some way where our sins would be forgiven. Again, rewinding back to our overview of Scripture series, when we looked at Genesis and we looked at the creation in the garden and we saw the fall of man, immediately after mankind fell, God promised that one day it would be reversed. And we call that the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, because that's where Jesus and his work was promised. And all through the Old Testament, we see these promises that somebody's going to come, that some way for our sin is going to be made as they made the sacrifices. The sacrifices themselves didn't actually 
atone for their sins. The sacrifices look forward to one who would atone for their sins. And Jesus is that one. All of the Old Testament prophets pointed that there would some way ultimately be someone who would perfectly make atonement for us. And now Jesus, that one, is telling us those truths. Jesus, as a prophet, brings with him the hope of the gospel to our sinful, rebellious hearts. All we want to do is turn from God. All we want to do is do whatever we want to do. And Jesus brings hope to us. Jesus reveals to us that if we continue on our path of self-gratification, of trusting in ourselves, we have no hope. We have nothing in eternity but death, for the wages of sin is death. But if we trust in Jesus, we can have something far greater. And it's interesting because this idea of Jesus, this concept of Jesus, isn't something that just came about in the New Testament. It's not like, well, guys, the Old Testament, they just really weren't listening, so now we got to try something new. How about, you know, we bring Jesus? No, Jesus, because he was there at the beginning, Jesus, because he was God, has been with God's people all along. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we read this. For I do not want you to become unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, that is the Old Testament where they were wandering in the desert. They passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Christ was there when Israel wandered through the desert. Christ was there providing for them even at that time. It doesn't stop in 1 Corinthians, though. We have in the book of Matthew, which I just lost my marker for, uh, Matthew chapter 17. Excuse me. Verse 5 says this. He was speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with who I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is the transfiguration. This is the time when Jesus took a few of his disciples up to the mountain and they see how glorious Jesus is. And God appears and says, this is my son. God tells his disciples, listen to Jesus. He's bringing you a greater message than any you have received before. Acts chapter 3, we see that Christ was the promised one, the great prophet in Acts chapter 3, verses 17 through 26. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that you may spend that, you, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Acts 3 is referencing back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. 
verses 15 through 19, where the Lord says through Moses, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Jesus is that prophet that was promised by Moses. We are called to listen to him. Joel Beakey, in discussing Jesus' role as prophet, says this, The Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John chapter 14. Christ is the meteor of the truth by which we know God and his will for our salvation. In other words, Christ is the prophet of his people. He fulfilled the prophetic office by which God reveals himself and his saving will to sinners. Christ is the living, personal revelation of God. He is more than a prophet. He is the Lord of the prophet. He is more than a messenger. He is the message. Robert Lethem says, As the incarnate Son of God, he was infinitely greater than any of the prophets of the Old Testament. They were sinners. He is the Holy One. They were God's servants. He is God's Son. He was the focus of all the prophets. Indeed, he is the truth itself. Let me read that one section again. He is more than a prophet. He is the Lord of the prophets. He is more than a messenger. He is the message. The gospel matters because it's about Jesus. Jesus brings the only hope that we have when he brings the gospel. In Luke Chapter 24, verses 44 through 45, we see this. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. This comes after Jesus has died and been resurrected when he appears to his disciples He says, these words in the Old Testament were about me. I told you about them and how I was fulfilling them. The words of the law, the words of Moses, the words of the prophet, the words of the Psalms, all were pointing to me. I am the message. And not only that, not only does he teach them that, but he opens their mind. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Paul, Christ's role as prophet centers on the word. That's interesting too because Christ's role as prophet didn't just happen while he taught, didn't just happen as he said things to his disciples. It happened even on the cross. On the cross, we see Jesus uh, showing God's grace to forgive sinners through Christ, Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. On the cross, we see Jesus showing God's salvation through Christ for the repentance, uh, for the repentant, Luke 23, 43. Verily I say unto you, today you shall be with me in paradise. On the cross, we see Christ showing God's creation of a new spiritual family in Christ. He said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. John 19, 26-27. On the cross, Jesus showed God's abandonment of Christ to suffer divine judgment because he bore our sins. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
Mark 15, 34. On the cross, God, uh, Christ showed God's fulfillment of his promises and prophecies of Christ. Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst, John 19. On the cross, Jesus shows God's complete accomplishment of salvation by Christ. It is finished. John 19. On the cross, Jesus shows God's acceptance of Christ's spirit because of his completed work in anticipation of his resurrection. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Luke 23. Jesus' greatest revelation of God took place when his deity was most hidden in suffering and shame. Jesus taught throughout history. He was with God's people as they wandered in the desert. He was with God before creation even began. He showed that he would be the one to come through the prophets. During his life as he came, he showed through his life and his example and his teaching that he was the one who was promised. And on the cross, it culminated in doing what we can't do on our own. He died on our behalf. Jesus was prophet in that he brought this message. And not only did he bring this message, but he helped us to understand it by illuminating our minds. So Jesus' role as prophet is one of the main reasons that he came down to earth. To show the people then and us now the need that we have for the gospel, the grace that Jesus brings of God's love for us. So we ask ourselves during Advent, do you know the gospel that Jesus brought? Do you know, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, that you are poor and imperfect? Do you know that there is something greater to come? Because if you do know that, if you understand the, the, the message of the gospel and the joy that Jesus brings, then Advent is a time of celebration. It's a time of not only remembering who Jesus was and everything that he's done, but anticipating and look forward to all that he will do in the future. And if you know those things, Advent is a time to glory in the hope of that coming Christ. So as we see Jesus as prophet, I would challenge you during this Advent season to spend time in the Word. Spend time in Hebrews because we're going to be going through it. Spend time learning who Jesus is so that you can recognize your need for Jesus, so that you can praise God for Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and so that you can anticipate and look forward to the second coming of Jesus. The hope that we have that one day, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more suffering, no more death, no more pain anymore. That glorious promise is what gives us hope. That glorious promise, because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we know will come true. And so in Advent, remember who Jesus is. Remember your need of the gospel. And look forward not only to Christmas, where we celebrate what he did while he was on earth, but to his second coming, when we will be with God forever. No more pain. 
No more suffering. No more tears. That's the glory of the gospel. Let's pray. It's hard, Father, to describe who Jesus is. It's hard because there's so much we want to say, and there's so many things that he did. But as we spend this Advent season looking at those things, at his character, at who he is, we pray that we would fall more in love with you, that we would fall more in love with your word, that we would fall more in love with your gospel, and that we would have hope. Father, we thank you that Jesus was the perfect prophet, the one who has spoken to us about who he is and what he did on our behalf. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.